Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships on True Story FM. Today, what happens when your toaster leaves the state? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. And as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today on the show, it's time to check your local jurisdiction. That's right. We say the words just about every week. But what does it really mean? Why are jurisdictions so important in the pursuit of your divorce? What happens when your soon-to-be former spouse lives in a different jurisdiction than you? To help us, we've scoured the nation and found two attorneys. Of course, there's me in the great state of Florida. And then, exactly 2,521 miles between Tampa and Newport Beach, California, we found a board-certified family law specialist in California law, Courtney Shepard, who's a family law attorney at Burt Shepard Family Law Group. Courtney, welcome to The Toaster. Thank you for having me, Seth. I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled to have this this conversation today, or more importantly, for you two to have this conversation, uh, because we say the words, I, I should have a bell. I really should have a bell, or at least the show should be some sort of a drinking game where uh, people get just properly soused every time we say the words, check your local jurisdictions. We say it all the time, and we have never had a conversation that really pulls apart why jurisdictions are important. Uh, shouldn't divorce just be equal? Oh, Pete. <laughs> Come on. Pete, Out of all the rube. shows we've done, <laughs> haven't you realized nothing is equal or equitable when it comes to divorce? The only uh, ones that win are the lawyers. That's why we have Courtney here. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what the parties think. <laughs> okay. So, I, Seth, this was originally, I think this was your, uh, your brainstorm. How would you like to set this conversation up in terms of framing uh, the differences between jurisdictions? Where would you like to start here? Well, the concept that I was thinking about is we always hear a lot about Florida family law because that's where I am licensed to practice law. That's the law I know about. And quite frequently, I get the pleasure of talking to lawyers in other states, jurisdictions, to see sometimes is it better for our prospective client because maybe we're both talking to the same client who there might be allowed to bring the case in Florida. They might be allowed to bring the case in Wisconsin. So I might talk to someone from Wisconsin and say, hey, what's better for our client? What's the potential outcomes? It could also be anywhere around the world. And I've had those conversations as well with lawyers in far, far away places to say, is it better in your country or in my country? If my country is Florida, the right state from which to bring the divorce. So I just thought, one, is it different? And two, what about the process? Is it ultimately the law's a little different, the concepts are the same, but the process and the feelings and the emotion doesn't matter what state line you're in or in what state jurisdiction you're in. And so I've had the pleasure of speaking with Courtney before about whether a case should be brought some in one jurisdiction or another and how they practice in California. And she was kind enough to come on the show. Okay. Courtney, then to you, 
we haven't we're talking about states and jurisdictions and you live and practice in a very, very large state. So educate me. What is a jurisdiction? Is a jurisdiction always a state or is there some other uh, gerrymandering going on around court legal jurisdictions? What does that mean? So the jurisdiction is the state. Okay. And however, different counties, although the law is the same throughout the entire state of California, you know, if you go into a courthouse in Riverside or Hemet, not outside of Orange County where I live, you know, sometimes the judges have different interpretations of the California state law. And if it's a jurisdiction like Hemet, they might not want to award a spouse a lot of spousal support if it's a big case, because typically they don't have those big cases in, in that county. So while the law is the same throughout the entire state, some judges may interpret it differently. But Pete, you're also asking another question. One is, it is the state. That's what we define as jurisdiction. But you also have to think of it as power. Does the judge have the power to hear the case. Okay. Does it fall within their jurisdiction? Okay. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah. So in Florida, check your local jurisdiction. We're going to see how it is in California. To file for divorce, one of the parties has to be a resident of the great state of Florida for at least six months prior to filing your petition for dissolution of marriage, the divorce paperwork. So that's a a residency requirement we're talking about here. It is. It's a residency requirement. And so you can't be living somewhere in the U.S. and search all 50 states and figure out what's the best place for me to get divorced financially or for the kids Mm -hmm. where I'm going to get a leg up and go pick that state parachute in on day one and file on day two. The state of Florida is like, you're not going to use us for our laws. You've got to be a resident for six months. Okay. And California has the same jurisdiction requirement. So you have to be a resident for six months prior to filing and live in the county that you want to file for three months. Okay. Which we don't have that three month rule. Okay. What are some other so we've so residency seems like a seems like a big one a, a big one to be to be aware of. Can you choose though? I mean, are there states that you're aware of that don't have the the parachute clause? Like you could just go fight. Like I'm looking at Nevada, right? You can go get married anytime. You can. I think can't you get divorced every time? You gotta go to Vegas, right, Pete? You're yeah, just right? thinking a quickie divorce in Vegas. I'm the guy who's helping people plan their next couple of weekends. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know what the law is in Vegas. Courtney, you're closer than I am. Uh, that's true, but I don't know what the law is in Vegas for filing a, for a dissolution of marriage. But in California, something that people do if they haven't lived in California for six months prior to them wanting to file for divorce, we have something called a legal separation where there are no jurisdiction requirements. And so you can file for a legal separation. And then once they meet the jurisdictional requirements, we amend the petition to a dissolution of marriage. Okay. Legal separation. What is, what does that mean? So in 
California, we have you can file for a dissolution of marriage where you get divorced in the end of the process. Official divorce, yeah. And then a legal separation, you're not the parties are still married at the end of the process, even though the process is the same as a divorce. And so a lot of the times I get potential clients who call me and say, What's the difference between a legal separation and a dissolution of marriage? And I'm I'm that client. What is the difference between So basically, it just sounds like once at the end, you're still married and the other one, you're not. Well, so that is the biggest difference. And the reason people would choose to do a legal separation versus a divorce, um, there's a few reasons. One is age. The parties are older. They don't really want to get divorced, but they don't like each other anymore. They don't want to live each other. They want to divide their assets. But maybe for health insurance reasons, they don't want to get divorced because they still need each other's health insurance. So people stay, quote, married for that, but all of their assets are divided. Um, the other reason, religious reasons, people don't believe in divorce, but they don't like each other. So they want to separate and divide their assets. So they do a legal separation. Those are usually the biggest reasons people would choose a legal separation versus a divorce. Wow. Seth, do you have anything like that? Nope. Oh, really? <laughs> it's literally that simple. We're in the great state of Florida. I like to say, you're, it's like being pregnant. You're either married or you're not. Now, oh. there's the whole process of going through the divorce when you might be separated. But there's one little spot in the statute that talks about legal separation. But there's, and I always kind of find it a misnomer. Um, but we can use it for one little minor nuance thing, which I will not bore anyone with. But there's nothing like what Courtney's talking about. You cannot file for a legal separation. You can't divide all your assets. Similarly, though, you can file a petition for support, alimony or child support, not connected with divorce. And what happens is people are living together. Someone controls the money. They're having problems and they stop. They like cut off all the money. And the person says to me, who the money's been cut off, I still want to work on the marriage, but I'm not getting any support. What can I do? I said, well, you've got two choices. You can file for divorce, which will lead to you being divorced, not married, and we can get support. Or you can actually file for support while you're married. So it's kind of like a legal separation. And 99% of the time, they don't do that. And they say, well, why would I do that? I said, you do it because you want to stay married. But in my experience, the moment you file for support not connected with divorce, you're going to get sued for divorce. So you're going to end up just wasting attorney's fees. Exactly. I, I see that, too. We have a similar action that you can file for support without filing a divorce or a legal separation. You can just file for support as well. But I have the same experience that you do. Okay. So from the perspective of somebody listening to this who's considering a divorce, let's just say someone walks into your office, Courtney, and says, okay, we're, it's not, it's not going well. Uh, I, we've lived in California for a long time, but my former, soon to be former spouse has moved, uh, to Phoenix to live with their, you know, aging parents, whatever. They're no longer in the same state. What are some considerations that, and let's just say they currently have no plans to be in the same state for for a while. What are the considerations that that you walk this potential new client through when it comes to formalizing the divorce process? 
Okay. Yeah. I actually have this exact case where my client lives in California and husband is in Arizona. Um, so (laughs) not just a hat rack, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Usually the hypothetical Pete gives me, I'm like, no, never heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) So when she called me and said, I'm, I want to get a divorce. My husband's in Arizona. I'm in California. What would be better? I tell her the law in California. California is a community property state. I don't know what Florida is. California is community property, meaning everything acquired during the marriage is community property and it's to be equally divided at divorce. Now, there are exceptions, but that's the general uh, premise to start with. And so I went through and told her, this is how your assets would be divided in California. And I said, we need to consult an Arizona attorney to find out the law in Arizona to see what would be better for you to file in California or to file in Arizona. So that's what we're doing. I'm jumping in here, Pete. I'm going to change your hypothetical a little bit because your hypothetical, the husband originally lived in California and left and you're you're obviously pro husband here to take what care of their aging right what to take care of their aging parent in Arizona. I like you know. I, I think you, what you're seeing is I'm pro aging parents, man. I'm oh, good my son. mistake, my mistake. Yeah. Okay, you, know, you play or so, you played yourself. Go ahead. Okay, so here's the deal. What happens if that husband always lived in Arizona, never came to California? Wife moved to California for a job, was there for six months. Husband never visited, never stepped foot in the state, has never, ever had any contact with Arizona. No businesses, no nothing. Okay, so now she has residency in California, and he clearly has residency. Look at what you did to my hypothetical. You made it like a story. Yeah, with like a subplot, and there are like villagers, and (laughs) it's just a really emotional arc. I'm very impressed. Well, thank you. All right, now what? We roll the dice. Courtney, what happens in that situation? Now you want me to answer this mess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... It will. It depends. That's the. That's everybody's favorite answer, um, and the lawyer's favorite answer. It would depend. We would have to then have an argument over where the case should be heard. Is it proper for it to be in California because wife came here for a job and has been here for six months? Did husband know that she was coming here for a job? Did they agree they were going to stay in California? Did they buy property in California? Was husband intending to come to California? So these are the questions that I would want to answer. And then we would have to, one of them would have to file a motion to quash and quash the petition if to determine which is the proper jurisdiction for the divorce to take place. And so you could argue both sides of it um, and then the judge would have to decide. Right. But in Florida, if that happens in Florida, you've got two things on jurisdiction. And we always say, check your local jurisdiction. When we're saying that, one, when we talk about power, like what is the law in your state? That's usually, Pete, how you and I refer to it. Sure. The other one where I was talking about is the power. Does the judge have the power to hear the case? So that's called subject matter jurisdiction. So if you're going to file for divorce in Washington, D.C., you cannot file in the United States Supreme Court. 
You're not going to have your divorce case in the United States Supreme Court as a starting grounds. Curses. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Because they do not have subject matter jurisdiction. They don't have the power, as powerful as they are, they don't have the power to listen to your divorce case right right out of the gate. Okay? But does the court have the power, what's called personal jurisdiction, over the person? So I've had cases where one spouse has lived here, the other spouse has had no contact ever with the state, and therefore the state of Florida doesn't have power over that person. They can't make them come to the state. They can't make them take depositions in the state. They So there's all these things about power to hear the case and then power over the person. These are pretty rare circumstances in in family law because most people when they're married, at some point have some connection to the state where their spouse happens to be, but sometimes not. Unless they're leaving to change the jurisdiction. A lot of people want to leave California and go to Texas because their spousal support is much better in Texas than it is in California. I've had that case. Can you just choose any, I mean, we just decide, we just established there's the residency requirement, but let's just say somebody feels like, hey, I want to go to Texas and do this. We're going to move there just to get jurisdiction for the divorce. Is that a circumstance? If both parties moved and went there and established residency with the intent to stay there, sure. Wow. Or if you sign a prenup right. and you say, we're going to use the laws of Florida to do our divorce. Wait a minute. Talk more about that. That circumvents a residency requirement? Well, let's say you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. You're living in Florida. You file for divorce in Florida, but your prenup was in Wisconsin. And the prenup in Wisconsin that was signed in Wisconsin said, we're going to use the laws of Florida to decide our divorce. Okay. You can pick which state you're going to use. You're contracting to use a different state law. And you're allowed to do that under Florida law. And California law. And you don't even have to, you don't have to be in the state when the divorce takes place? Nope. Because I've got prenups that have been signed in Florida and then they move to California and they get divorced, but they're going to apply Florida law. This is like filing your corporation, corporation papers in Delaware, isn't it? (laughs) This is the same thing. Exactly. You got it. Now, there's always the exception to the rule. The state of Florida will say, we'll do that as long as that state law isn't against our public policy. There's always the catch-all, get-out-of-jail-free card. So if they're looking at Sharia law, for example, they might not apply that because they might find it against the public policy of the great state of Florida. Right. Okay. So, Courtney, back to our example, our brilliant, our brilliant and prescient uh, example that that I, I brought to you earlier. You let's just say you throw up the it's a jump ball, right? And it lands in Arizona. What happens to you then? If the, the this person came to you and said, hey, I want to work with you. Are you are you done? Yeah, I would refer. I would help her find an attorney if she wanted me to in Arizona because I don't, I'm not licensed to practice law in Arizona. OK, is is that something that someone could potentially look for like it, it does that is that a selling point to you as a lawyer to get licensed in multiple states does that happen no no okay <laughs> so glad i asked brutal like literally i like i think i got sick for a moment I, pete. <laughs> I know that was hardcore guess what you have to do pete to get licensed in other states 
Um, Take the bar. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, but don't no. That's what I'm saying. Like, isn't that like? Does is that a thing? Like, look at the East Coast. There's so many states that like touch each other, can't you? Or or go to the four corners. <laughs> well, some people do. Some people are licensed in other states, and some states allow attorneys from other states to what they say wave in. Sometimes there's certain requirements that you can do without taking the bar. Is my understanding? I don't know for sure because I've never tried. Um, some states have reciprocity with other states that allow an attorney to practice in their state. California, however, does not allow any out-of-state attorneys. So no other states offer reciprocity to California because we don't offer it to anybody. I don't know if Florida does. I don't know any other states, but I'm not taking another bar exam. And <laughs> that's, that's the end of that. I, took, I said after the bar, I was never going to take another bar exam. And then I took the certified family law specialist exam, which is another bar exam in the area of family law. And after that, I'm not taking another bar exam. (laughs) Until her until her spouse wants to move, you know, to Pittsburgh and she's a big Steeler fan. And now she's going to take another bar exam. That's how that's going to work. Right. I'm feeling so here's the deal, Pete. There is a this is a great term. I love it. Pro hoc visa. Yeah, you can do. That. Oh, so pro hoc. No, you just visa. made that. You just made that up. It's okay. <laughs> it is a legal term when you're adding a lawyer into a case in a jurisdiction in which the lawyer is not licensed to practice law. So, literally, as as we know, my mom passed away last year. The last case she litigated was in federal court in Montana. She was not a member of the Montana bar and they filed a motion with the court asking for pro hoc visa saying, look, I am not a member of the Montana bar. I'm being asked to be co-counsel in this case. Will you accept me as a member of your bar for this one case? So there are ways to do it on an individual basis and there's rules about it like, oh, we'll let you in on two cases, but not more than then take the bar exam, right? right? So there's a way to co-counsel. Sometimes you can be asked to come in. You can file a motion. If the court grants it, you're in. But there aren't a lot of lawyers that are licensed than more than one state. And if they are, it's usually just a handful. And it might be like New York, New Jersey, like you're saying, those states where they all touch each other up in the Northeast. But Right. Okay. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, approximately 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. This is an alarming statistic as a family law professional who deals with custody cases regularly. Finding the balance between the child's safety and helping the child maintain a relationship with both parents is one of the hardest things to navigate. Add in the he said, she said phenomenon that happens with divorcing couples who often weaponize alcohol use against one another, and the situation is even more difficult. All of this is why Soberlink has been one of the most important tools for my clients dealing with these issues. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind regarding the child's safety. Soberlink helps keep the focus on the best interest of the child, which is really the most important part in a divorce case dealing with children. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create a parenting plan guide to help people going through divorce that involves alcohol in children. And you can download it today at soberlink.com slash toaster. 
And if you take a look and you think you're ready to order Soberlink, just mention how to split a toaster for $50 off their device price. Our thanks to Soberlink for sponsoring How to Split a Toaster. We've already dropped the terms uh, community property on the show. We need to talk about community property versus equitable distribution, I think. Right? God, that's impressive, Pete. Yes. It's good. You, we like we've been doing it. We've never talked about community property and Courtney throws it out and you're like, wait a minute. I, I like it. I know some <laughs> stuff, some stuff I can do. It's okay. <laughs> you do a lot it's of great okay. stuff, man. So let's do, uh, so let's do, we, we, Courtney covered us on, com, uh, community property, our introduction. What is equitable distribution? Is that a, how would you frame that in context of this conversation, Seth? So Courtney will cover community property. Like she said, in Florida, we're not a community property state. So we deal with what's called equitable distribution. It is the division of assets and liabilities in a divorce. And the rule is not everything that comes into the marriage is marital. It depends on what comes in, how it comes in. Do you commingle it? So by way of example, if you are given a gift, Pete, during your marriage and you live in Florida, it's your birthday. And your parents give you a gift. Your kids give you a gift. Your friends give you gifts. That is yours. It's not half your spouse's. It was a gift to you. The main way that usually shows up in our cases is inheritance. That's a gift. You've received a gift. So if you take that gift and you put it in a separate bank account, assuming it was cash, and you don't put your spouse's name on it, it maintains the gift principles and properties, and therefore it's not part of the marital estate. It is equitably divided outside of our little sheet that we use. It is your separate property. If you take that same gift and you put it into a joint account with your spouse, you've taken a gift and you've made it marital. Okay. Okay, so you can co-mingle it. You put it in a bank account that's only your name on it, but that's where your marital money from your earnings have been going. You've co-mingled it. And I get a lot of calls like, oh my God, I, didn't, I thought it was just my name. It was fine. And I'm like, nope, you've, you've co-mingled it. Okay, because you put it in a in a joint account. This this counts for stuff like you, so you've been working uh, you've been working real real hard and you get a great bonus. You get forty grand uh, at the end of the year, but it's made out to you. You did the work. You put it in your family checking account. That becomes community. But could you put that in a separate account and make it? Nope, because that's marital labor. Marital that's not labor. A gift. <laughs> yeah. So is marital labor marital property? Yeah. Marital labor is marital property. Well, that's like California. We just call it community property, that your efforts, skills, and labor are community property during the marriage. Okay. But how does this, so Seth's example of the gift, how does that play out in California? It's the same. Oh, okay. So are we just, are we just using the same words for, or different words for the same thing effectively? Well, the problem, right, Courtney, is that there's always the exceptions. So you really got to dig into the exceptions. And a lot of these concepts line up, Pete. Yeah. But the nuances are different. That's why I'm always saying, and you're always ringing that bell, check your local jurisdiction. And also, to Courtney's point, don't just check your local jurisdiction as far as the state law. 
but what judge are you in front of? How do they interpret that law? Right? And, and the problem with the law is it's made up of language, and language can be unclear. And the more we try to define something, sometimes we create more confusion. And here's a simple example of that. There's children, and then there's adults. And then you have a gray area of these kids that, are they really children or are they really adults? And I'm not saying, oh, at 18, that's the hard line, right? But just generally speaking. So then we talk about adolescence. So now we've taken care of that middle group. They're in their adolescence, right? Or young adults, right? Well, now there's more gray lines. Where's the gray line between a child and an adolescent? There's a gray line between adolescent and young adult. There's a gray line between young adult and adult. So the more we define things, the more gray can get on the edges. And you get clever board-certified lawyers like Courtney, who's going to expose those issues when you're talking about language. That's right. It's never black and uh, white in the law. It's kind of gray. Well, and that, that was actually my next question. Like, what, what considerations, are there any broad sort of broad strokes considerations, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, that people might expect with specific handling of kids, child custody? Uh, do you run into that? Or kid, kids are kids? Courtney, what do you think? Best interest of the child? Is that fairly? I think all courts would look at best interest of the child. I think that's pretty common. Okay. But what does that mean, right? Right. <laughs> now we're fighting about something. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Best interest of the child is always in, and, and here for here to into the future to live in my basement. <laughs> exactly. And we don't have those to, in Florida. <laughs> to, serve, to serve me in all my whims. In Florida, do you allow the children to um, express their preference for where they want to live at a certain age? It's not a hard, fast rule. You have to file a motion with the court. And it depends on the judge. Mm. It depends on the age. They have to be of sufficient age and maturity mm. to give a preference. What does that mean? Well, see, that's why it, we get paid, right? That's right. So I had a case where there was a 16-year-old and everybody testified. He, the child was smart, doing well in school, was very mature. And the judge says, okay, I've heard enough. I'll listen to the kid. And then they say, but no one's going to get to cross-examine that child. I'm going to just talk to him. You can submit questions. I'll decide whether to ask them or not. Hmm. That happens in California, too. But we have an age, the family code actually provides an age 14 where the court shall listen. Whoa, we don't have that. Yeah, the court shall allow make a way for the child to express their preference, either through testimony, chambers conference with the court, just like you said, where you, the attorneys can submit questions, or we have something called a minor's interview um, through our family court services or appoint an attorney for the child. Wow. That seemed like to really light you up, Seth. Was it the, was it the word shall? Yep. It was the word shall. Yeah. Because I'll have judges here that will be like, I shall not. Exactly. <laughs> Don't even file the motion. Now, it would be my guess that there are judges in California that don't like being told what to do by the great legislature. And when they put in words shall, they get offended. 
okay? And so they'll do the shall in any manner that Courtney just laid out for them, but or for us, but they're not really going to pay attention to what that kid's saying, right? Some of the judges, you are correct. Ding, 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 ding. They just do, they, they just put a couple <laughs> of pieces of gum in their mouths and you see them put big headphones on while the kid starts talking. <laughs> power move, courtroom power move. I, I, I want to transition. I shall transition because we've, we've talked a lot about the divorce process. How does mediation work when you're talking across state lines? Are there different considerations or is it still pretty much no jurisdiction? Uh, good luck. So mediation is um, confidential. Nothing that you say can be used in the courtroom later if you don't settle. So it's all confidential and privileged. Um, attorneys do mediation. There's mediate who, people who are not attorneys that do mediation, which is a huge problem. And I just met with a lady who went to mediation and I feel so bad for her. She just got totally screwed and taken advantage of by her husband, because I really feel that people who engage in mediation need to have a very high level of trust with each other. Both parties need to know what the finances are. And one spouse cannot be the the person who's in control, the power position. If there's an unequal power position in the relationship, it one party always gets screwed and it's horrible. And then I have to fix it if I can. All that sounds very familiar. It's confidential in Florida. There are mediators who are um, not lawyers. They're mediators that are lawyers. People can go to mediation without lawyers, pro se. They can go with lawyers. So, but the process is, I think, the same. So, Courtney, you show up, you either sit in Florida, we in our in locally here, we don't ever put the parties in the same room, um, very, very rarely. But you're always in what's called caucus, you're in a separate rooms, and the mediator goes back and forth and they're neutral and they try to solve the problem and end up with a parenting plan or a marital settlement agreement and everyone signs at the end. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we do put the parties in the same room. I guess we like drama here in California. Movies. I've had to uh, ask someone to leave the room before and stand up and walk out because people start screaming at each other. So really, um, it just depends on the parties and whether or not they can be in the same room. Otherwise, we do the exact same thing. Everybody's in their own room. The mediator goes back and forth. But in terms of the across state lines bit, like you can, it does, because everything's privileged and confidential, you can help somebody whose former spouse is in another state, or do you all just go up to Salt Lake and, and meet there and have a ski? And Let's say that Courtney's representing someone in California, and I'm representing the spouse who's now living in Florida. Yeah, we're going to meet in Denver. It'll be great. Uh, no? Great. No, we'll probably do it by Zoom. Yeah, Zoom. Okay, but it can be done. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah, like if the divorce is in California and they don't have children or one spouse decided to move and the divorce is still going on in California, yes, we can mediate anywhere, especially now because of Zoom. I, I guess the, the part that I was, uh, like, aren't there, there are specific, like, processes and regulations for the divorce just because you're not going to court like whose whose rules do you abide by you would abide by the california rules if it's a california case okay wherever it's filed 
But if it's so the the divorce is filed, whatever state that's in, then those are the rules. But you can be anywhere uh, for a mediation. Right. And ultimately, the judge will make the decision. So, for example, I know of a case that there was going to be a mediation and one of the lawyers got COVID. And everyone thought, oh, we're not going to go for it. He's got COVID, but we're under a court order. So you can't just show up, not you can't ignore the order and not go to mediation. So they filed a joint stipulation. Your Honor, they got COVID. We want to postpone mediation and reschedule it. The judge got it, said, nope, everybody's going in person except the guy with COVID. He can appear by Zoom. And they stick an iPad on a robot broom handle and just make him wheel around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So judges have a lot of power, a lot of discretion, especially when they're handling the case and moving it through their own system, their own courtroom. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the uh, divorce is finalized. People are living apart. They've moved to different states. How do you handle post-divorce issues, right? Like, you know, uh, people get upset about kids traveling back and forth or whatever. How do you, you know, is there a special process you or, or any special considerations for folks who are um, dealing with this living in different states? Oh, Pete, you're just like singing. You're just like teeing them up today. This is my... You, now we get to talk about the UCCJEA, the right. Uniform Child was, Custody Jurisdiction Enforcement Act. I was just thinking of that specifically. That's why I led the que- I was I led the question. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. a little yeah. leading question. Like yeah. I like this May- is the <laughs> nicest bedtime story. <laughs> Kai, when he was little, he he would be up at night and say, "Daddy, just more. Can I read one more? Yeah, one more statute, please." Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So there's two things here. One, let's assume it's not dealing with kids, so we don't deal with the UCCJEA. Whatever state you're in, that's going to be the state that controls. And you can take that order, and let's say they've both now lived, they were in California, Courtney got a great deal for her her client, her client's now living in Florida, so is the ex-husband. And they don't want to go back to California to litigate. I can take that California order, bring it to Florida, and make it a Florida order. Because now we get to talk about the Constitution. Right. Yep. See, Courtney's excited. This I'm all excited <laughs> about this I stuff, watched her you know? eyes get really I wide. Know. Saucers. We have the Consta full faith. What now? <laughs> full faith and credit clause. One law, one order in one jurisdiction is enforceable in the other jurisdiction, but there's always the carve out unless it's against public policy. And that is why the gay marriages ended up going to the Supreme Court. Because some states were saying, hey, this is our law. You can get married. They would, those couples would go to another state and that state says, we're not recognizing Massachusetts law in Texas, mm-hmm. we're not going to do the full faith and credit because it violates our public policy. And ultimately, the United States Supreme Court resolved that issue. Okay. That's right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> How often does that happen? Lawyers agree. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a good question. If you're in different states, 
and you're dealing with a contract and you know a court order how, how does it happen what's the process yeah like these people get upset with each other because you know former spouses sometimes get upset with each other and they want to get their lawyer involved but now they live two thousand miles away who do they call not their lawyer they don't unless they they really want to go back to california and be there no right which you can uh, it depends i mean in in florida the court reserves jurisdiction holds on to the power to enforce it right so that's what happens a lot so you can go back to florida but it just might not be convenient right okay right it's the same in california but usually if the judge realizes that none of the parties live in california the judge wants to get rid of the case because they have too many and they will say go to one of those other states Oh man. Okay. All right. Well, and that's the that was the the led to my bit of clarification around the difference between a court having jurisdiction over one of the spouses but uh, but not the divorce or having jurisdiction over the divorce but not one of the spouses that that was some confusing legal jumble for me. Yeah, it's cuz it is confusing. Oh, good. And here's the other reason why it's confusing is it's so fact-intensive. So, by way of example, remember the Florida rule. You have to be a resident for six months prior to filing. So, let's say you have a couple that's married here. They're living here. They've been here for six months. But one of them moves out of state. The other party follows them. And three weeks later, comes back to Florida. And then the one that came back files for divorce. The question on whether Florida has jurisdiction, the first party that moved out was like, no, got a job. I intended to move. I was never coming back to Florida. The second one said, I went with my spouse. Three weeks later, I came back. The question for the court, is when that spouse went up, you know, when they left the state, were they going to be with their spouse who got the job permanently? They were not intending to come back? Or did they always intend to come back? So now you're looking at, like, what kind of plans did they make before they went to Georgia? But did they sell their house? Did they start closing bank accounts? Did they change their driver's license? Did they change their voter registration card? Did they get a storage unit? What did they do to come back? Did, what stuff did they take with them? Anything you can do to figure out their state of mind at the time. And they're, they're saying, I never intended to stay with my spouse who got the job. Let's just call the spouse the husband. The wife's like, nope, he got the job. I moved up there with him, always knowing that I was coming back to Florida. I just hadn't told him I wanted a divorce yet. Right. Did they find that picture on Facebook with them holding a sign that says, who's a proud Georgian with an arrow pointing to their face? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So All right. that's why it's complicated. You literally, did they post something to your point, Pete? Did they post something on Facebook saying, check out our new home? <laughs> right. Check out our new forever home. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we need another bell that is, please, people stop posting on social media when you're considering a divorce. Yes, or that's one going. of the first rules I tell my clients. See, 
even in California, they tell you this. And California is where all these people, all the social media companies live. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is illuminating. Any let's just say uh, it's uh, next Monday, eight o'clock, day one. You're considering uh, a divorce and you're separated uh, across state lines. What's the first bit of advice you're going to give uh, this potential party? Stay married. <laughs> Enough said, Courtney. <laughs> Well, I won't say that. Um, yeah, that's taken. If they if they have the chance to think about it, figure out which state is better for them financially or for the kids before they file. Talk okay. to a lawyer in both states would be my advice. Talk to a lawyer in both states. Uh, okay. Uh, and now, as we wrap up, uh, how often uh, is it that, that laws within a, a your jurisdiction change, like statutes change, uh, you know, or does it, does it happen all the time? Oh, so yeah. So here you've, you've planned for your divorce. You've, you've talked to a lawyer, you've checked out the law, the statute, the case law, everything. And you say, you know what? I'm moving to Florida because I think alimony is going to be better for me in Florida. Oh, that's a nice teaser. Then you move. Right. Mm -hmm. And then right when you parachute in, you stay your six months, you're ready to file. The Florida legislature passes a new alimony reform bill and changes the law. And it's sitting on the governor's desk and it might or might not get signed. And how does that impact ultimately what your decision was to move across the country to get a more favorable alimony law that could be a problem so statutes changing do not happen often there might be little tweaks to a statute fixing a scrivener's error as they call them or something like that or what happens more often is when a case gets appealed it gets interpreted differently and then that might change how the law is applied and that happens daily that happens all the time yeah and also like with especially for prenuptial agreements in california i feel like the law is always changing with regards to prenuptial agreements and how they interpret prenuptial agreements and whether they're going to be enforceable and that's i think very hard when people want a prenuptial agreement and they come to you and they say is this going to be enforceable if i get divorced and i'm like I don't know, because they could change the law. And sometimes those prenuptial uh, changes are applied retroactively, which is a little scary. How do we do anything just as humans? How do we do anything? Am I right? I mean, come on. That's crazy talk. (laughs) I have this legal contract and uh, it may be good for you in 25 years. It's ridiculous. Shrug. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That little emoji. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have only two emoji that I use. It's shrug or man face palming. And I think both of them could apply here. Yes, they do. This actually has, has been enormously illuminating uh, for me. And I feel like I've belabored the point only because I am uh, in constant uh, state of shock about uh, how the law works and especially now how the law works uh, between states but before we go i want to ask this question courtney do you think the emotion the stress all the what i say part of the attorney and counselor at law 
when you're being the counselor at law to get them through the process. Do you think that's the same no matter what state you're in? I think 100% it's the same. I tell people every day that I feel like I'm a therapist, half of my job, listening to people, trying to calm them down, make them stop crying. I try to tell my clients, look, I know this is hard. We got to put the emotions aside because this is a business decision. And I try to frame it that way so they can think of it more in business to try to get some of that emotion out. But yes, I think the stress, the handling of the clients, the emotion is all the same no matter what state you are in. Uh, thank you, Courtney, so much for being here, being with us. Where So for our California listeners, where would you like to send them to learn more about the work that you do? Oh, thank you. I am in Orange County, California, Newport Beach specifically. Um, the name of my firm is Burke Shepherd Family Law Group, and our website is ocdivorce.net. And a proud Steelers fan. And a proud Steelers fan in California. In California. That's fighting words, as they say. Outstanding. <laughs> like, how many people are yeah. members of that club? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Awesome. More than you think. More, More than, than you, you think. think. I'll bet that's true. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I was thinking, like, you and your husband going to a table and being like, the Steeler Club is here, so yeah, it must be. <laughs> no, I meet new Steeler fans almost every day. Every day, Seth. Every day. I don't even meet new people every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how that. Well, then you should get out more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you tried? Have you tried introducing yourself to some Steeler fans? They're very chatty. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that, but Pete's like, get your work done so we can do the podcast. That's yeah, all that's I'm allowed to it. do. Yeah, that's what, okay. you, that's what you get. Hey, we sure appreciate uh, appreciate you being here, Courtney. This has been fantastic. Thanks for representing the West Coast uh, and uh, and and joining us for this. A fair show. Uh, Seth, thank you, as always, for your expertise on behalf of Courtney Shepard and America's favorite divorce attorney on the East Coast, Seth Nelson. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch oh, the you next East time. Coast. Yeah, did you see what I did there? Uh, yeah, Courtney's I'm the Pete favorite Wright. now. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> on the West Coast. That's right. That's There you go. Uh, we'll, we will see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.